So it's episode 62. And by now, you know what you're going to get. It's a big enough sample size, right? You know what you're going to get. And if you've made it this far, you're good with it. Eh, maybe you'd like to tweak it here. Maybe you'd like to tweak it there. But you're good with it. For the most part, you get me, I get you. There is a symbiotic relationship going on right now. That's what they say. You make it to episode 62, boom, that's your fan base. That's your listenership. We're not adding anybody at this point. We're not losing anybody at this point. We are a family. We're together forever. So buckle up. It's going to be a busy one today. Speaking of who gets you, who gets you? Sometimes it takes a while, right? Sometimes you can instantly see, though, who you don't get and who does not get you. This morning at Trader Joe's, that's right. I don't always go to Trader Joe's, maybe twice a year, but there's always that sample in the back. And today it was raspberry tart, which is like a pastry. Really good. It's a big sample. Sometimes there's like a little shot glass of soup and you're like, no, no thanks. But raspberry tart? Mmm, I hit it. And then I came back and said, I'm just bringing this one to my baby. So the sample coordinator, what's their title? The people behind the glass, the sample coordinator. Didn't want her to think I was stealing. And then I told my wife, I said, ooh, it's raspberry tart. Go get it. And she runs over and immediately it falls out of the little paper serving dish it was on and it rolls right down her face and down her chest and into her cleavage and onto her shirt. And it was great. It was funny. I mean, look, we have a washing machine or it's stained forever, but the tart ended up everywhere it shouldn't. And if you're a parent, you don't even view stains the way you used to view stains. Stains are just normal. Everything is stained now. I don't even have reactions to stains. But instead of, you know, saying, oh, it's fine. I just adopted a new character and said to my wife, you're better than that. Come on. You're better than that. Totally kidding around. But I looked at the sample coordinator, not laughing at all worried that she was witnessing, you know, verbal abuse. Me just screaming at my wife after she drops the tart down her chest. You're better than that, honey. Come on. When we come to Trader Joe's, you need to show some composure around the sample. And I just looked at this. I think she was probably 17 years old, this frizzy redheaded girl or orange headed girl. She seemed nice enough, but she also looked like worried. She kept her head down cutting more tart samples. I was like, oh, yeah, she doesn't get me. That's fine. That's fine. Maybe my acting was a little too high level for her. It was pretty good. Not a great character. The old castigate your wife at Trader Joe's character. Not my best. But it's all in fun. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's all in fun. But I think you know this and I know this. Trader Joe's doesn't have everything. So if you need, like, the toiletries, baby supplies... Maybe better produce. That means you got to go to another store and then another store. Does anybody grocery shop in intervals like that? You go here for your meats. You go here for your eggs. You go here for your produce. And then all of a sudden, three hours go by and you're like, what the fuck are we doing? But we do this from time to time from farmer's market. Then you go to the Safeway big store. And then, you know, I've always wanted to get the little cheese doodles at Trader Joe's. So we stopped there. And then Scotty's Market. Of course, Scotty's Market. Last time I was at Scotty's Market, I exited and there was this older gentleman and he had a big stand of newspapers with a sign that said, free sample of a newspaper. And my hands were full, but I still walked right up to him and said, sure. Like I nodded like, yeah, that'd be great. I didn't realize 
I was going to get into a conversation. I thought he was just going to hand me a free sample of the Marin Independent Journal. Of course not. What a dope I was. So he starts his pitch. Hey, if you subscribe now, we'll get you the Sunday paper for a nickel and then the Saturday paper for $20. And then Monday through Friday, we're going to throw in Monday through Friday for 30 cents times 30 days minus 18. He's doing all sorts of math plus 24 cents. We're going to up the ante, throw in the comics for $5. I'm like, wait, how much is the newspaper? Very weird deals they have now. I think they have to confuse you into buying a subscription. And I was so sorry because I wasn't going to do it. You know, Marie Kondo is in my heart and soul. That means I declutter. That means I'm not about to accumulate more paper into my home that I just have to carry to the recycling bin later in the week. If I'm subscribing to a newspaper seven days a week, there's a lot of things I'm not consuming, I'm not reading that I'm just bringing to the recycler, right? So no, I'll read the news online. Just like all of you. Or maybe 1% of you listening right now still subscribes to the hard copy. But most people, I think we've reached the point, most people, online news consumers. And when this guy realized that there wasn't going to be a sale, that I just wanted a free sample of the Marin IJ, he looked a little defeated. And he was like, come on. He literally said, help us keep the lights on. Keep the lights on? This is so sad. And it's not just here in the county I live in, but this is local newspapers. This is newspapers. And I had the realization, accept the defeat. We're done. How do I know this? It's a complete defeat. Within 20 years, maybe 30 years, there's no more hard copies. We're done. People are going to go to the glow of their device for news, which they already do. But here's how I know. As a high school teacher, I have about 150 students each and every year. That's a decent sample size to understand the future consumers of America. What are their habits? I say raise your hand to my students, not just because I teach journalism. I ask my history students as well. Raise your hand. If you plan to be a subscriber to a hard copy newspaper, that means somebody driving their car around your neighborhood is going to throw is going to throw a newspaper out of their vehicle into your driveway. And you're going to come out of your home in the morning and pick up that newspaper and start reading it. I couldn't even try to paint a romantic picture of an old school paper boy. Great Nintendo game, by the way. But an old school paper boy who was just throwing papers into every driveway. Because everybody subscribed to the local newspaper. Or papers, plural. Nobody nowadays. I see the guy circling the neighborhood. He tosses maybe two every block. How many hands go up when I ask all of my teenage students this question maybe one or two out of about 150 so there you go you could be a prognosticator of the future habits of the future consumers of americans if you're a high school teacher you see what they're into honestly if i say raise your hand if you're on facebook because i know they're all on instagram or snapchat most of them are not what does that mean for facebook we'll see within 20 years i think facebook's gonna slowly fade out i could be wrong But I don't think these teens are into it. I think they'll be the next great social media platform. Going back to the local newspaper salesman, though. Keep the lights on. Setting up the stand and begging people to subscribe. I think we're witnessing something historic. To be alive right now as newspapers are going extinct, there's a sadness to it. Sure, we could notice that element. There's a sadness. A very charming Norman Rockwell image in your head when you think about reading the newspaper in the morning with your coffee. It just looks better in your mind than holding your cellular telephone, holding your iPhone 
and with your hand just scrolling through articles, scrolling through. That doesn't look good, but that is what people are doing. Instead, some people think it's nice, nice to hold a newspaper, but it's just novelty now. Look at all the stands in your town. They have cobwebs on them. Nothing's in the stands anymore. It's like payphones around your city. If you ever see a payphone, no one's on it. No one's using it. No one has shoved a quarter in there in many years. Same with the stands. It's weird to see. The main problem I have with it is that when I scroll through an article, I keep scrolling. See, this is the part I don't like. The message board's toxic environment. And I know I've talked about this, but it's too much. It's not just Twitter or Reddit or any article ever that allows anonymous people to post hateful messages. And the article could be so innocent and you'll still have these scumbags finding something negative to post. What does this expose about us? See, with a hard copy newspaper, you finish the article, you're done. With the online articles, for some reason, I have no clue why I can't control my ability to just stop reading at the end. I have to keep scrolling and look at some of the comments. But they're always awful, nasty, hateful. It could be local kid wins poetry contest. And the first post is, yeah, we're focused on poetry in this town instead of finding a way to defeat those liberals who are trying to take my guns away. Really? You're turning this into guns? Could be any article. Parking lot expanding in front of CBS. Scroll, scroll, scroll. You're like, all right, there's more parking spots in front of CBS. Great, that's newsworthy. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Here comes the message board comments. CVS is just a messenger for the devil. Takes too long to read my chip and my credit card there. I'm wasting my life. Their prices are too high. Capitalism's failing. Local politicians need to step in. Like, what the fuck is this about? But even recently, a real one. My good buddy, Josh Friday. He was a city councilman in Novato, the town I teach in. And he was a mayor in Devoto, but he took a new job. He's now Governor Gavin Newsom's new chief service officer. It's big. It's big. So that was newsworthy locally. There was a story in the IJ and I saw the hard copy of it. I liked it, took it, brought it to Josh, but I also read it online and then kept scrolling and somebody posts, he ruined Novato. He ruined Novato. He ruined the town of Novato. Just felt like, you know, this is a big moment in his life taking a job with the California governor and this person just had to get online and express their immediate displeasure. You'll never see congrats, Josh. You'll never see, Hey, I think this is a fine move by Gavin Newsom. Instead, it's he ruined our town. Really? Did he ruin your town? Did the local city councilman ruin your town and why am I reading this stupid message board but that's going to be normal that's now going to be the process of consuming news here's the article this is what the reporter reported and here's the town here's the townsmen and the townswomen with their angry epithets and toxic comments all right that's now the news consuming experience seriously if we're doing online news only there's more to it there's banner ads that'll sting our eyes because we're looking at the glow too much. I mean, all the same complaints, but goodbye, newspapers. Farewell. But just on the topic of newspapers, real quick, there have been a couple local articles about wildlife 
One was a mountain lion was on the highway in Lake County, causing a driver to swerve and hit an oncoming SUV. Nine injured, no deaths. Mountain lion on the highway. And the article ends with mountain lion was killed. Also read Bobcat had to be put down in Fairfax for attacking hikers. And if you read the article, it said a lot of the hikers used to like to feed this bobcat. It was like a famous bobcat. But hello, morons. When you start feeding wildlife, they start to rely on you instead of their natural abilities to fend for themselves in the great outdoors. So you start feeding this bobcat, and the bobcat now says, oh, I like to get close to humans. But most humans aren't cool with that. Most humans hiking, if they see a bobcat, are going to freak out, report it, and it gets reported, and then all of a sudden the authorities got to find it and kill it. These are sad stories, right? But it's common because we've built homes into the earth and we call them our towns now. We forgot that they used to belong to nature. Boy, is this going to sound like an environmentalist rant. But really, just think about it naturally. Like my house was built in the 1950s. So the houses in my neighborhood, they're from the 50s. It's kind of recent, right? Before that, it was just dirt, just hills, hills and dirt, dirt and hills. Before paved roads, before any markets, banks, schools. You know, this isn't like so long ago. It's just the area where the deers and the skunks and the raccoons played. It was a big Disney movie. Just picture everything in a cartoon lens for a moment. You know, before houses were here and we said, this is now mine. This is our land. This is where we put our barbecue and our fences and our roofs and our walls and our paved driveways. So stay out, wildlife. Wildlife used to always live here. And guess what? They're still here. And when they show up, we freak out. And I've been meaning to tell this story, and I'm finally going to tell this story. Sadly, this might expose me as not the greatest dog owner or dog walker, but I'm walking my dog, no leash, and looking down at my phone. Oh, that's the daily double. So it's a hot summer day. This is about three weeks ago. Yeah, I got I got good peripheral vision. So I could kind of see him. I kind of see him. And it's a sleepy-ass neighborhood I'm in. You know, there's not a lot of traffic. I could always hear the car and know, okay, I got to get him out of the road. Look, he's 13 years old. I've been doing something right. So I walk about 20 yards, just looking at my phone, scrolling through useless tweets. Dog's about five feet in front of me. And then I look up. And 15 feet in front of me, this is true, a mother deer with two little fawns. Cute, right? No. Scary as fuck. You were thinking, oh, cute. A couple little fawns? No. Looked like dragons to my eyes. Looked like we were about to get killed. 15 feet. That's very close. So I run to my dog. I grab his tail and yank him towards me. The mother deer rotates her body towards me. And the tail starts wagging. It's like a bushy little nub. And it starts shaking. Shaking a little bit. I was like, what does this mean? And then the hoof. Am I getting these deer body parts correct? Nub tails and hooves. Starts to tap. Tap. 15 feet. So I'm freaking out. And in my mind, I already advanced this story. In my mind, I'm going to fight a deer. I'm going to fight a deer. This deer is going to come at me. I'm not faster than a deer. So to survive, this is on my street. My God, do I wish a neighbor had footage of this because nothing happened. 
In the end, I dragged my dog back home full speed. I start jogging with him. And now I don't do that. Now I will not just stare at the glow of my phone as I walk him. I learned a lesson. But, of course, Mama Deer protects her little fawns, sees Muggsy, this old beagle. She doesn't know that's a nice beagle. She doesn't know that it's a docile old man. She might be thinking, oh, here comes the attack. So she gets defensive. And when that bushy nub of a tail starts shaking, I pictured a tussle. Brings up the question, could I beat a deer in a fight? Could I? Like if I used 100% of my effort, my physical abilities to fight a deer, do you punch a deer in the face? Do you wrestle it to the ground? And I know like one hoof kick to my nuts, I'm done. Maybe dead. Just turn my groin to jelly. Goodbye. Adios. I'm done. And my wife would have to find me in the street. Oh, it'd be such a sad funeral. You know, Josh uh, had a lot of things going for him. But in the end, nope. Could not beat a deer in a fight. Or maybe I could. And that's a worse story. That's a worse story to tell people. Yeah, today was great. Oatmeal for breakfast. Went on a nice run. Beat the shit out of a deer to save my dog's life. That doesn't make me sound cool. It's a decent story, but it's also not one you want to tell too many times because it sends the message that you can't coexist with wildlife. And guess what? We can't. I've seen skunks. I'm scared. By the way, what are, what are skunks? It's a joke. Are we just living in God's video game? Yeah, I'm going to create this creature that just has a stink bomb ready to be released out of its ass. Skunk. We've had raccoons in the backyard. Growing up, we had raccoons come in the house to eat dog food. You know how terrifying this is? And our reaction is always like, get out. This is ours. So when deer come into our neighborhoods, our streets, our lawns, and when skunks come into our driveways and raccoons, we always feel violated. Like they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be here. Let's just rewind a little bit. Yeah, they should. There should actually be more of this. Where are they when we don't see them? Just hiding in the hills? I'm wondering. Wildlife in the suburbs is outrageous. So we humans go hiking in hills, and if we see a bobcat, sometimes the story ends with bobcat had to be put down. It's kind of sickening. I've been in a giant car crash because a deer came into the highway. I'm driving on the highway, probably going 60. Deer just jumps in front of my car. I swerve. I total my car. This is a true story. I think I have some PTSD from it. But of course, my reaction is, damn you, deer. That damn deer jumped onto the paved road that I drive my vehicle on at high speeds. But really, it's like, of course that happened. There's thousands of these deer. Why do I expect, why do we expect them to adhere to our human rules of, nope, don't come near us. Maybe we just have to domesticate all of them. Maybe we should have pet raccoons, skunks, and deer. And no doors. No home has doors anymore. You just let them in and out. You keep a bowl. Maybe that's what compost will be for. Or something else, because compost is already compost. We have trash. What do we have? Paper recycling, aluminum recycling, plastic recycling. And then we'll have something new, a new bin. Don't we need more bins in America? Don't we need just more receptacles? There'll be, you know, the feeder, we'll call it. Honey, did you fill the feeder? Okay, and what about the compost, the recycling, the aluminum, the tin? The trash. Okay, but the feeder's good? Good. So let them all in. Domesticate them. Otherwise, we're going to keep crashing our cars into them, getting bit on hikes, and fearing them. 
I'm pretty sure I just made a point. I think I found a point at the end of all that nonsense. You agree? No? I should tell you this. Last week I saw a grown man drop string cheese on a carpet. And somebody else in the room said, five second rule. Five second rule. We've all heard that, right? Five second rule. We've heard that our whole lives. And people laugh. (laughs) Five second rule. You know some people take that seriously though. I mean, the guy didn't eat the string cheese. And you drop string cheese on the carpet. You don't keep eating it, right? But if someone says, five second rule, are they going for a laugh? Or are they being serious? So you know I googled that. And you could actually find it on Wikipedia, the origins of the five second rule. As if to say, the bacteria on a carpet or the ground cannot affect food within five seconds. I know getting all serious about something so stupid, but it depends on the food, right? Like if I drop a granola bar on the sidewalk, five second rule. But if I drop a burger on my lawn, there's no five second rule. It's just zero seconds rule that's garbage now. So it depends on the food. But think about the origins of the five second rule. You know it was someone serious who didn't have a lot of food and everybody was watching this guy eat yogurt on a camping trip. He's just eating yogurt in nature. And his shaky hand drops the spoon. And everyone's like, oh, man, that's tough to watch. This guy lost his yogurt. And he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, five second rule. And they're like, what? He's a liar. But he acts like he has scientific research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're allowed to eat food within five seconds that you drop on the ground. No, just a liar. But the origins have turned it into something that we all know about. We all believe. And maybe we should. We should all eat food that we drop. My daughter's now 19 months. She drops most of her food. And my wife says, you know, that's garbage now. Is it? Or should we adhere to the strict five-second rule? I've done it. I'll be honest right now. I've seen my daughter drop some food on the ground. I just give it right back to her. Build that immune system, right? We can't be so worried as parents. They're supposed to fall down. They're supposed to eat yogurt off the dirt, right? Maybe not. Should I read a book on parenting? Perhaps. Speaking of the origins of liars, what about stories altogether? Stories. Like fiction. We're in a world where it's normal. Someone just writes a book of things that didn't happen. Novels, fiction, people enjoy it. Fantasy, sci-fi, whatever it is. You make things up. What about go back to the earliest homo sapiens, the earliest humans who had this ability to communicate. Who's the first person to tell a story? Aren't they just a liar? Like gather around everybody. There once was a rabbit. And everyone's like, yeah? There was a movie, I think it was with Ricky Gervais called The Invention of Lying or something. It was actually not bad. It was like a joke of a movie. It was a society where nobody had ever heard about the concept of lying. It didn't even exist. I barely remember the movie. Was it Ricky Gervais? I think Jonah Hill was in it as well. But there was one person in this society who knew to lie. And it was just so easy to now manipulate through every aspect of life. The power of lying. But I'm just saying the first storyteller ever. You know, there was a point in human history where every conversation was based in, you know, some truth, right? And then someone just busted out the first ever story. The origins of that just is just making shit up. Just making shit up. It's easy. Good Night Moon, Amelia Bedelia, all these children's books. Just making shit up. There once was a big red dog. No, there wasn't. Where's the nonfiction section for little kids? That's what I would have been drawn to. I can't read novels. I can't get into make-believe. There's something wrong with me. I think I know what it is. The world is already so weird. 
So memoirs, biographies, history books, give me all that. Give me all that. Let me try to make sense of all of that first before you start telling me there once was an armadillo who drove a car. Not into it. Expand my mind into the fantasy world? Can't do it. This brain can't get into anything fantasy. I think I have a malfunction. Most people get into that stuff. Most people are so excited about Star Wars Transformers, Aquaman, Ant-Man, Iron Man. I don't care about any of these men. None of them. But a 300-page book about Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, I'll give it a chance. Malcolm Gladwell, observing how we think, how we make decisions? Yeah, give me that. But Hunger Games, Twilight? What is any of this shit? This is highly unrelatable to most people. Most people listening to me are going, what? Get into it. It's fun. It's fun. No, it's just someone thinking up lies. We just call it fiction. But you know the origin of fiction is just called lies. That's what it used to be labeled in the book section. Nonfiction and then someone's lies. All right, speaking of something good in the nonfiction world, Seinfeld just released a new season of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Now, this started as a web series with very little production value. You remember the origins of just Jerry, who likes cars, taking comics that you think he really liked, and then driving around in cars. And now it's Netflix, it's corporate, the editing is so good, you could tell it has real coffee sponsors, and the cutaways to coffee being poured, or espresso being sipped, beans being poured out on a table, it's great. It's really a good 16 to 20 minute show. And there's something about Seinfeld that I just love. Like there's nothing hidden. He's so upfront. You know, he and Larry David are actually the same person. So the fact that they collaborated to make Seinfeld, it just worked on so many levels. But their personalities is why it worked. There was nothing to hide. Nothing contrived. So the new season, I've already watched the Seth Rogen episode, the Sebastian Maniscalco episode. But if you take one piece of advice for entertainment this summer, watch the episode of Seinfeld with Eddie Murphy. First of all, I don't know if I've ever seen Eddie Murphy interviewed. And this isn't an interview. It's not like Seinfeld's interviewing them. They're just having conversations. And it's pretty raw, even though, of course, there's a ton of cameramen and a ton of producers. And obviously, it's Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood. But there are some moments. They spend about four hours together. You can see Jerry picks up the celebrity in the morning at their house. Then they go for breakfast. Then they go for brunch. Then they go for coffee. Then they go for lunch. Then they go on walks. It's like really cool that you see a couple of friends who have great history hanging out together. But... They edit it down to 15 minutes. So the moments they actually show you are so good. That is the best. If you have a short attention span, to watch a show that's been filmed over four hours, condensed into the best 15, think about your own day. If you can watch the best 15 minutes condensed and edited with the great Netflix editors and producers, it'd be entertaining. Even if you think you have a boring life, no. If you found the greatest 15 minutes, boom, it's great. But if you have Seinfeld and Eddie then it's just the greatest TV ever. Hyperbole, of course, but still. They talk about things that are so wonderful. If you're a comedy nerd like me, there are some key moments in the Seinfeld Eddie Murphy episode that give you chills. Just Eddie talking about his early days, how they were just a couple no-name open micers in New York coming up at the same time. And at one point, Jerry just looks across the table and says, I love you. You're just so great. And we have. We've anointed Eddie as a legend. But guess what? He's still alive. This isn't some guy from the 1940s. Eddie's still alive. And at one point, he goes, you know, I will get back into stand-up. Some of the key takeaways, though, Seinfeld says, you were so fearless, you know, delirious and raw. 
his great stand-up specials. And Eddie's like, not really. That was well-thought-out, polished, rehearsed material. You know, fearless. He's like, I was scared of crowds. I'm a human. And Eddie said to Jerry, you always seemed fearless. And Jerry was like, what? No. It's amazing to see Jerry freaking Seinfeld and Eddie Murphy talking about their lack of confidence. You know, these are two men who have conquered their professions of comedy. They've reached the top of the mountain. Yet they were sharing their insecurities. What a beautiful moment that was. And the misconceptions that all the people we see who look so cool, calm, collected, and put together, they have insecurities. And the conversation, it wasn't just funny, it was like poignant. It was like two men who are now fathers reflecting on what matters and just the process of creating a joke. It's like this brotherhood. When you, when you watch comedians hanging out and just talking about something that only they understand, for us, you know, the audience members, to get a little peek into this, a little glimpse into this, it's beautiful. As satisfying as 18 minutes of TV can be. I'm not going to give away a bunch of other stuff. Although I feel like I gave away pretty much everything. But check it out. And the Seth Rogen episode's good too. Seth Rogen! <laughs> the worst laugh, right? He's so successful and famous. Seth Rogen started doing stand-up at age 13. Isn't that wild? And then quit when he was 18. Who has a stand-up comedy career from 13 to 18? Yeah. The answer is Seth Rogen. All right, let me wrap this up. Let me just say something vague and then explain. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. And at times, guess what? I've had a bad attitude. Certainly, I've had a bad attitude about things on the calendar, things on the schedule. So I went to my 20-year high school reunion. Graduated in 1999. It's now 2019. How time flies, right? What are all the cliche comments we can say? Man. It goes quick. All right. But let's really break it down for a moment. When the invitation starts to come up on Facebook, hey, everybody, save the date. I'm saying to myself, nope. No, thanks. Not interested. And I didn't exactly know why. Honestly, I just thought, no, thanks. It's a night I don't need. I'm in touch with the people I want to be in touch with. Isn't that the classic excuse? And then you see it start to gain some steam on Facebook. And more people are RSVPing. Is that a word, RSVPing or responding? Yes, I'll be there. I'm flying in. And some people are excited about it. And I'm like, all right, I still have a bad attitude about it. I don't know why. Couldn't change my energy about it. Just feel like, no, thanks. That's not for me. I'm good. And then some of my closest friends start texting me and calling me. Hey, you got to go. Come on, we're going to go. It'll be a fun night to party. Let's just catch up with everybody. And eventually, I think a few weeks prior to the event, I just go, okay, take my credit card. Let's do it. I'll bring my wife. It'll be the small talk Olympics. Let's get into it. And then when I was about 10 minutes away from it, I start to get nervous. These are people I went to school with, not just high school, but a lot of them, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade. Why am I getting nervous? It's a beautiful venue. The organizers did a fantastic job. It was like a wedding with nobody getting married. It was like upscale people dressed up, nice spread of food, DJ, full bar. Boom. It was great. People look good too. Let me compliment my classmates. People looking good still. We're all the same exact age, that 37, 38 range. And here's what's surreal about it. Once you're in it, we all had name tags, which I thought was unnecessary. We know who we are. Or maybe it was necessary. I don't know. There were a few people I didn't recognize. But once you're in it, you can't look anywhere without a familiar face. About what, 180 people there? I don't know. I actually have no clue. 
But everywhere you look, your brain is just processing, oh, it's you, but a little bit older. Oh, it's you, but a little bit older. And I mean a little bit. People aren't looking old yet. Just a little bit older. And you feel drawn to catch up with everybody. And then, you know, every conversation has to be limited. You can't do like 30 straight minutes with somebody. You got to bounce around. If that's your goal, to bounce around, bounce around, and bounce. And it turned out that it was great. So much fun. It was actually one of the greatest nights I'm going to have all summer, maybe all year. It just was. Everybody was in good spirits. There were so many laughs. It was like, in some ways, euphoric. Like, whoa, was that a good night? don't even really know how to explain it, but I realized I got to change my attitude about certain things because then the whole event will change. I knew once I was in it, I went, yeah, I'm going to like this. Self-fulfilling prophecies? Yeah. So anything that sounds shitay, anything that sounds undesirable, if you could ever get your brain to just go, I'm going to make this fun, you realize you're in power. You can be in power. Any event you have right now on the calendar that you're like, oh, I'm not feeling it. No, thanks. If it's a trip, if it's a class, if it's a chore, if it's an errand, I think attitude is everything. You can change your attitude. Is this a pep talk that nobody asked for? But speaking about power, what are you in power of? I'm going to close with this. I was talking to my friend, John Bush, and I said, all right, recommend a podcast for me. I'm always looking for the next great one. And he said, Dax Shepard. You remember Dax from Punked? He does an interview podcast, and I gave it a whirl. The Will Ferrell episode. It was okay. I thought Dax is just okay. But at one point, Will's talking about having divorced parents. How when you're a kid, you feel a little powerless. You can't control that. And then you start to realize all the other things in life you can't control. But what do you have power over in life? I guess how good of a friend you are, how good of a spouse you are, the type of effort you put into your job. But Will Ferrell mentioned comedy and Dax mentioned comedy. If you can make people laugh, you're in control of a situation. And if you're funny... You know, not everybody is, but if you start to discover at a really young age, like five, six, seven, eight years old, that you possess a sense of humor and you can make a group of people laugh, it's a way of shifting power. You know, it wasn't even like Will Ferrell talking about comedy. His parents were divorced. I think at the same time, my parents were divorced and Dax is asking him, you know, did you act out? Did you rebel? Were you defiant? And Will Ferrell's, you know, very normal. No. And Dax said, is that when you realized you could make a big group of people laugh? And Will says, yeah, actually. And Dax just understood it on a deeper level because he's also coming from that situation. Makes you look at class clowns a little differently. By the way, I hate that term class clown. Let's get rid of that. We're just talking about the people who make the kids laugh. Sure, it's disruptive. But what if they're genuinely funny? Isn't there an element of comedy relief, comic relief to the class clown that's needed? We should never be negative about the class clown. I mean, sure, if it goes too far, it inhibits the teacher's ability to teach fine. But I think we need the class clown. And now we can understand the class clown. This kid, they're not just bored. They might need that moment, the power shift. Feeling powerlessness. I can make some people laugh right now. Not just get the attention on me, but actually like the sight of a group laughing. These are the comedians. It's a power move. I mean, if your jokes are terrible, if your jokes suck. No one's laughing. You got to just kind of tiptoe away from the humor world. It's like, okay, not for me. I'll find power elsewhere. But if power comes along with laughter, I think that's a good little relationship. I think that's a good little U-N-I-T-Y, Queen Latifah. Still a good song. Check it on your Spotify. Unity, still a good song. All right, done. 62. That's it. 62 episodes. So we're now officially a family. We're a group. Thanks for listening. I mean that. All right, 62. It's in the books. 
I'll talk to you soon.